welcome. Uh, it's good to see uh, many familiar faces and some new faces this morning. Uh, let me start us off by praying together. Father, we, we thank you for this morning, uh, the opportunity that we have to be able to look at your word together and to be able to consider what it looks like, uh, just the tip of the iceberg really of what it looks like to uh, have your word, your gospel, your son Jesus uh, affect every area of our lives and impact and change and mold every area of our lives so that we would bear fruit that would bring you glory. Uh, That is the kind of church we long to be. That is the kind of people we long to be. And so we come this morning now to look at this teaching of Jesus uh, to see how that can happen. So help us, Lord, uh, that we would hear what Jesus has to say, what you have to say uh, to us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so we are getting ready for the fall, and we're, we're jumping into a, a short series right now on um, the mission of the church. We're going to be talking about who we are as a church over the next couple weeks and how we're going to work together to hopefully uh, uh, disciple one another and grow with each other uh, to serve one another and our city. And uh, this passage, it, uh, this is the third version of the sermon because I kept having to cut amazing stuff out. So there's so much here. We can't possibly cover it all. Um, But what we're going to do is we're going to use this passage and certain aspects of this passage to help us to unpack a little bit of what our mission is. So our mission as a church uh, is that we want to help, we want to disciple people to experience Jesus in every part of their life uh, and share Jesus in every part of the city. Now, this is the, the mission that our leadership had before I got here. So this is, this is the ongoing mission of our church. This is something that our leaders have said. This is important to us. This is a part of what Harbor longs to be as a church community, that we're discipling you, that we're discipling each other so that the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done, uh, impacts every area of our lives and through us begins to have an effect in the way that our city operates, like things like prop parties, for example. Uh, so what we're going to do is today we're going to see how Jesus, um, from John 15, we're going to see Jesus teaching on how we experience him in our lives. Next week, we're going to talk about how uh, we share Jesus in the city. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about how we do this together. All right. So that's like the series intro. Let's look at John 15. Uh, so John 15, if you were to, if someone were to ask you like, hey, what would be the, the kernel of Christianity? Like if you could summarize, and maybe this is a question you yourself have here this morning. You're exploring the teachings of Christianity. You're trying to figure out what is this thing, this uh, system of beliefs that people have. Uh, you, you, if you try to like boil it down to something, you, there obviously there's lots of ways you could boil it down. But one way, One way that you could summarize the teaching of Christianity is that this good news of what Jesus has done uh, is going to affect every area of your life. Uh, That you're going to experience the goodness of Jesus in every area of your life. And so in John 15, Jesus is talking to us about this unique relationship that you and I have with him. Uh, if you want to use a theological term, if you want to impress your Christian friends, like, what was the sermon on this week? You can say, we discussed union with Christ. Right? That would be the theological term uh, for what it is that we're talking about this morning. Or uh, maybe you don't want to, you know, you don't want to show off too much. Uh, you could say, we talked about the way the gospel affects all of life. Uh, and that would be equally true, right? Because that's what we're doing this morning. We're, we're considering together 
What is it that the gospel does? Now, that might seem like a really bold ambition, right? Like who on earth are we, who on earth am I to say, I'm, I'm going to, I'm here to help you experience Jesus in every part of your life. Like, I can't do that. I'm not Holy Spirit. Our, our leadership, we're not Holy Spirit. We can't manufacture true, genuine fruit in your life. We can, we can manufacture things that maybe look like that, but true, genuine fruit is something that only God can do. So if, if that's something that we can't do, then why on earth would that be something that we would aspire to do as a church? Uh, and what John 15 begins by uh, telling us is that this is something that the Father wants for you. All right, now, we can literally just stop there and just spend the rest of our time unpacking the significance. God the Father wants you, his children, to experience Jesus in every part of your life. That's amazing. Look at how the passage begins. We're, this is just a little like end, a segue into the introduction of the sermon. Look what Jesus says. He says, I'm the true vine. My father's the gardener. He, that's the father, cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more, what? Fruitful. The father wants you, his children, to be fruitful. He wants you to experience Jesus, his son, the saving work of what Jesus has done. He longs for you to experience that in every area of your life. Like, that's good news. Amen? Oh, that was a really, that was a Presbyterian amen. Come on now. Amen? All right, that's her. A little, little more charismatic this morning. All right. Um, so so that's, the, that's, the, that's the starting point. Now, what we're going to do, we seriously, like, there's so much here. Like I'm dying right now because there's so many things I can't say. Um, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the vine, Jesus, and we're going to look at the branches. Uh, that's you and me. Okay. The vine and the branches. All right. So Jesus says, I am the what? I am the true vine. By saying that he's the true vine, he's implying that there are what? False vines, right? There are false vines. Y'all know what false vines are? Let me, false vines are those places that we go to that we think, surely here I'm going to be able to draw life. But in reality, there are places that take life. They're not life-giving, they're life-taking. Uh, so, uh, you know, a little confession for myself. Like for me, if I'm honest, uh, one of the other vines that I constantly want to attach my heart to is my job, my work. Anybody resonate with that? Right? Uh, so, so my wife, you know, if she were here, she would tell you like, oh, it's totally true. Right. So I will have days where I will come home at the end of the day. And if I didn't tick off, I'm a very task oriented person. Uh, if I don't tick off enough boxes off my task management app, which I love, and I will be an evangelist for things. Um, if I don't tick off enough boxes, I get to the end of the day and I'm like, oh, it was a horrible day. Kate was like, how was your day? It was a horrible. Why? I didn't get anything done. Well, that's actually not true. I probably got a lot of things done, but I didn't get enough things done, right? And so the narrative that I start telling him myself, if I'm honest, right, is like, oh, Jesus isn't happy with my job as a pastor today because I didn't get enough work done, right? That's a life-taking vine. And, but, you know, it cuts the other way, right? Because I can, I can kid myself into thinking if I did check off enough boxes of my to-do list, like, oh, my Jesus must be happy with me today because I got X amount of work done. Now, I'm probably not alone uh, in this respect, uh, or maybe I am alone, I don't know, but I suspect that all of us, maybe it's not work, right? Maybe it's stability. Maybe, we know, we talked about this last week, right? The idea of, 
of all of these things that we have been taught are the American ideal, right? Owning a home, having a comfortable life, stability. And any one of these things can be another vine that we say, oh, that's the vine. That's where I'm going to find life. That's what's going to help me to be pr- uh, produce fruit. And Jesus says, no, uh, that's not the vine. Uh, I am the vine. I'm the one who produces fruit. And, and, the, and this idea of producing fruit is that as Jesus is, his life-giving power is going through the vine. He is the vine. It's going through him into your lives that what ends up happening is you are experiencing the impact of that in every area of your life. That's amazing, right? There's no part of your life that Jesus says, well, I'll let you have that because he loves you too much to do that. He wants you to experience his transforming power. So what we're going to do is this. Um, you know, if you're, if you're a note taker, you're set. If you're not a note taker, make a mental note, take out your phone, grab a pencil, use your bulletin, because we're going to do a little, little kind of sort of exercise here. Uh, I'm going to walk through here three areas. This is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm going to walk through three areas where, um, where I want to suggest to you, Jesus wants you to experience his goodness in these areas. And he, and he wants you to produce life-giving fruit. That He has life-giving fruit that he is going to produce through you in these areas. And so here's the question. Um, how is Jesus working in you to produce life-giving fruit in these areas? Or where does Jesus want to work through you to produce life-giving fruit? So that's the question. That slide's going to show up in again in a second. Don't worry. But I want you to think. All right? So option one. We already talked about it. Right? Work. Jesus wants everyone, he wants, uh, excuse me, experiencing Jesus in every part of our life affects the way that we work, right? So that we do our work as to the Lord. So that the way that we think about what we do Monday through Friday or Tuesday through Saturday or whatever it is that your work schedule happens to be, or maybe it's school for you, you know, for, for the kids that are in the room or college students that are in the room or graduate students that are in the room or adults that are going back to school. Maybe for you, it's school, right? That, that's the primary place where, where God is calling you to do your vocation right now. And he, he's calling you to bear fruit in that. I had a really really encouraging conversation with somebody in this room uh, just recently. They came to me and they said, you know, I've, re- I've realized that I'm, I've not really been uh, very uh, committed. I've not been giving my work my all. I've been kind of phoning it in. Um, and so I, I feel like I got to go to my supervisor uh, and just own that and say, like I, like, I recognize, like, I've not been working the way that I know that I can work. And I just want you to know, like, I'm committing to doing that. You know, and I didn't, it's like that to me, I was like, wow, that's what is that? Like there's a humility there, right? There's a vulnerability there that says, like, I'm I'm recognizing I'm not doing something the way Jesus is calling me to, and I want to address it. That's one evidence of life-giving fruit in the area of work. Secondly, personal our personal lives. Uh, so Jesus wants you to experience him in every part of your life, and that includes your personal life, right? So so that there is patience when everything in you doesn't want to be patient. You know what I mean? Parents, amen. Um, That there is gentleness when everything in you wants to not have gentleness. That there is joy even in the midst of of difficult circumstances. That there's contentment uh, even when there is need. 
again, had a conversation recently with somebody in our church who, who said to me, we were talking about some of the stuff that this individual had gone through in their past. Uh, and, and as we were talking and as they were relating to me, some of the dynamics of, of their, of their story, uh, said to me, you know, if it wasn't for Jesus, if it wasn't for who he was, like, I don't know where I'd be. I don't even know if I'd be alive. Uh, and, and so what is like, that, that's the fruit of Jesus experience that this person was experiencing and the fact that they're able to look back over the course of their life and recognize that where they are now is very different than would have been without Jesus. So work, personalize, and then family, our relationships. Uh, the way that we talk to our children, the way that we talk to our spouses, the way that we talk to our roommates, the way that we talk to our parents, the way that we talk to our coworkers, the way that we talk to each other, right? So like, this is the part where like, Jesus was like, hey, buddy, right? Because like last night, as I'm working on this sermon, I'm snapping at my kids because I was on the third rewrite of this thing, right? That's not life-giving fruit, right? Am I right? Yeah, I was right, yeah. <laughs> My, my son is like, yeah, totally, that's totally what happened. The way that we relate to people in our lives is evidence of Jesus changing and impacting every area of our life. The way we talk, the fruit of the spirit. So now these are just three areas, right? And so the question for you is how is, as you go, as you go through that list, and it's not an exhaustive list, but where, what's Jesus calling you to? I don't know the answer to that. But how is he calling you to say, like, this is the area? Is it your work? Is it your relationships? Is it your personal life? Is it something else? And right now, because I believe in a God who is alive, right now, I think Holy Spirit is probably working in lots of people's hearts right now saying, hey, this is it. This is the area where I want you to experience the power of Jesus in new ways. And this is the life-giving fruit that will come from that. And maybe you're like, I don't know yet. Well, let me give you a prayer. And this prayer will show up in the email this week. Uh, Jesus, you are the vine and I am the branch. Thank you that you are in me and that I am in you. Thank you that you are the one that produces the fruit. So remember, we do not produce the fruit. The fruit happens because we are connected to the vine. Jesus, you produce the fruit. What kind of fruit are you calling me to produce in my work, my school, my personal life, my relationships? The fruit is not up to you. Jesus is the life-giving vine. Jesus wants you to experience the power of what he has done in every area of your life. Guess what? So does the Father. So does the Spirit. So do I. Like really, like, like when you're like, oh, why are you in the pastor? I, I love seeing people fall in love with Jesus. I love people's lives being changed because they're understanding who Jesus is and what it is that he has done. And I want that for me and I want that for you. But guess what? That doesn't mean much aside from the fact that that's what the Father wants for you. Jesus is the vine, you are the branches. That's the first thing. Let's now look at the branches. Uh, so it would be easy for us to be like, well, Jesus is the one that produces the fruit. So I therefore can just kind of lay back. I don't have to do much. That's actually not true. Um, there is a role that we play, an active role that we play in the Christian life. We can, we can hold the tension that says Jesus is the one that does the work, but we do the work with him, dependent on him, 
relying on his grace. Uh, And in this passage, there are, again, this is one of those like, I have to cut. There are several things that Jesus invites us to do as evidence of fruit. We're going to look at just two of them. Um, First of all, we're going to look at Jesus says in verse seven, that his word needs to remain in us. His word needs to remain in us. How do we think about the words of Jesus? How do we think about scripture? Is scripture good advice from a life coach or is scripture life-giving words from the source of life? There's a story that illustrates this really well. It's in the gospel of John chapter six, where Jesus is teaching. And if you've, if you've read anything about the teaching of Jesus, you know, like Jesus will say some things and you're like, man, that's awesome. That's so beautiful. It just warms my heart. And then he'll turn around and he'll say something. You're like, whoa, I don't know what I think about that. Well, so this was one of those moments where Jesus was giving some teaching and people were like, ah, we're out. Sorry. That's a little bit too radical for us. And so people are beginning to leave. They're not following Jesus anymore. So Jesus turns to his disciples uh, and he says, all right, gang, what about you? And this is what Peter says. He says, uh, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Psalm 119, uh, verse 103. It's a lot of verses in Psalm 119. uh, Says this. Your words are sweeter than honey to my mouth. Kids, what's your favorite ice cream? What's the ice cream, or adults for that matter, right? What's the ice cream that if you could have every day of your life, no problem, your mom and dad is never going to say to you, stop having ice cream. You can have a spoonful, you can have a bowl full. What would it be? Come on. Rocky Road? What was that? Moose tracks, cookies and cream. Anybody cookies and cream lovers here? Am I the only cookies and cream person? What kind of a forsaken place am I in? (laughs) Holy smokes. Ben and Jerry's? Okay, we got some Ben and Jerry's people. Uh, All right. Um, Ashley Santiago's not here. I would would say Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream. You all need to check out Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream. Anyway, I digress. Um, so, So when the scripture says, right? Think of your favorite ice cream. The thing that you like, like you eat it and you're just like, oh man, I love this. What was it? Sounds chocolate. Chocolate is delicious, right? You eat that and you're just like, man, I just like, this is so good. When Psalm 119 says, your word is like honey to me. Like that's, I want to submit, like that's the emotional response that we're supposed to have to scripture. Let's be honest with it. How many of us have that emotional response to scripture? How many of us rather, in fact, I'm reading this book by an Australian pastor. Uh, the, the pastor's name is Mark Sayers. The name of the book is called The Non-Anxious Presence. And, and he suggests in the book, and I was like, oh, um, how often is our faith, is our expression of faith, is our experience of faith a dull and exhausting struggle? How often when we think about discipleship, we see it as nothing more but as an endless plotting in which we hope for a breakthrough, but expect never to get there. I will raise my hand, right? Have you all ever thought that? You experienced that? That's not what Jesus wants for you, 
right? Experiencing Jesus in every part of your life means that the Father wants you to delight in him. Jesus wants you to delight in him in the way that you delight in that delicious spoonful of ice cream or whatever is the guilty pleasure of your choice. That's what the Father wants for you. And so that's how he wants us to see his word. But here's the thing, right? That he, just, he doesn't just want us to do that as individuals. He wants us to experience that in community with each other. And so that's why this fall, Chad made all these announcements about different things that we're doing. We're not just trying to fill the calendar. I like, I hate filling the calendar. We want to create spaces for you to work out with each other, how is Jesus calling you to experience his goodness in every area of your life? And we want to do that for our kids and we want to do that for adults. So for kids, what are we doing? Uh, We're starting Sunday school. And so we've got a slide for Sunday school. Yay, what's in the Bible? So we're going to be, our kids are going to be going through this curriculum called What's in the Bible. Um, it will take a couple of years for us to go through the whole thing. Is that right, Christina? Two years. Uh, and by the time that our kids are done with this two-year process, they will have been given an introduction to every book of the Bible. They will learn uh, some theology. They're going to learn some church history. They're going to have fun doing it. But what's going to happen is that they're going to walk out of this time and they're going to at least have a sense of what is this book or this app that my family seems to think is so important? Why is it significant? And we're going to provide you as parents resources so that this isn't just something that happens on Sunday, but it's something that you then, and however you want to work it into the, the, the shape of your life, are able to do that in ways that make sense for your family. Because we, we want to come alongside. We see our role is to come alongside you. You're the primary disciples of your kids. We want to come alongside you and help you in that. For adults, we have Sunday school. We're going to be doing a book called uh, The Spiritually Vibrant Home. Chad's talked about it. This is based on research that Barna has done, and they wrote this book. And what they discovered is that there are three common practices that homes that are spiritual, households that are spiritually vibrant seem to have in common. And a household can be, right, mom, dad, kids, single parent kids, roommates, Uh, empty nesters, multi-generational, single people who've got other folks that are in their life on a regular basis. All of these fall under the rubric of the biblical concept of household. There are three common practices that spiritually vibrant households have. We're going to talk about what those are, and we're going to create space for you to think about how do I foster these practices in my life? Do you want to know what they are? You got to go to the Sunday school class. Come on, you didn't think I was going to tell you. And then Bible studies. Uh, the book of Thessalonians. Like Thessalonians is not one of those books that probably many people have spent time on. But you know what Thessalonians talks about? How do we deal with death? Hmm, that's a question our culture has been wrestling through. What do we think about uh, money? Also important. How do we deal with folks who don't agree with us? That seems like that might be a pertinent topic. Sexuality, huh, I think, we, I think that's something that we need to talk about. And so again, we, we're, we, I picked that book because it seemed like, hey, given what Paul is trying to do as he's communicating to the churches in Thessalonica, the themes that he's talking about are themes that resonate with us. Uh, now, you can go to any one or all of these things, and that doesn't mean you're experiencing Jesus in your life, Right? 
but, but we're trying to create space for that to happen. Then the second thing. So, so the first thing, Jesus wants you to uh, remain in his word. His words are life. His word is like honey. Remember, like probably some of you don't even like honey, right? But remember that in Jesus' world, honey would have been one of the few things that you could have that were sweet. There was no, you know, processed sugar. And then he says, secondly, again, there's a lot more, but secondly, that we're going to look at, he says in verses 9 and 10, to remain in his love. And when he starts to unpack what his love is like, what does he say? Remember, this is where he says, greater love has no one than this, that he should lay, yeah, see, you know, lay down his life for his friends. Right? The disciples didn't yet know the weight of those words. They didn't yet have a sense of what those words would come to mean. But you and I, right, as we look back on the life of Jesus, we know that right there he was making an insanely important statement about what he was going to do for them. That his love for them would lead him to give his life up for them, to die on the cross. And so to experience Jesus in every part of our life, we have to be grafted into the vine. Jesus is the vine, and it is when we put our faith in him, when we trust in him, that the Father comes and he grafts us onto the vine. And that when we're grafted onto the vine, we then produce fruit. Not because of anything that we've done. We did not graft ourselves onto the vine. We didn't say, hmm, that looks like a good vine. I'm going to go graft myself into that one. No, the father takes us, he grafts us into the vine. And then because the vine is life-giving, life-giving fruit comes out from us. This is what we want for you. This is what I want for you. This is what I want for myself. This is the kind of church I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church where people are hungry for Jesus. I want to be a part of a church where we are intentionally discipling our, each other and our children. I want to be a part of a church that says Jesus is the vine. And he is eager for us. The father is eager for us to produce life-giving fruit. Life-giving fruit, remember what Jesus says? That will be for the glory of God. That's the kind of church that we are striving and praying and asking the Lord to make us. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this teaching. Uh, Jesus, Father, thank you that you want this for us and that you would even tell us in your word that this is something that you want for us is, like you didn't need to share this with us. Um, Thank you for sharing this with us. Thank you for telling us that this is your heart for your people. Jesus, thank you that you are the vine. Thank you that you are the source of life. Help us, Lord, to hold on to you. We want to experience your goodness. We want your good news, your gospel to affect every area of our lives, our work, our school, our relationships, our personal lives, the list goes on and on and on. Thank you that you've provided us your word. 
Thank you that you've given yourself on the cross so that we might experience you in every area of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.